0: things. Four words in the New Testament that are words for the word worship and the concepts behind them. Here's what I know. That a lot of times we can leave a challenge like this and say, you ought to have devotions, family worship time, personal worship time, personal devotions, uh, husband and wife, whatever your combination is in your home you okay so we'll spend 5 or 10 minutes and then we're then we're good that is not what i'm going to emphasize today that is the core that's the basis that's the center of it but if your worship is 10 minutes with your family or an hour at garden chapel on a sunday morning or some other place where you're worshipping god for a limited amount of time you have missed the main part of what God wants you to know. Because the concept of worship is an ongoing one that includes every aspect of your life. In fact, is if there's anything in your life that cannot be used to worship God, you better think about that as Joshua and others. Jacob, for example, said, get rid of the idols. Get rid of the false gods because something's there that doesn't belong there you may have not thought of worship this way but hopefully by the end of this sermon you will have that concept in mind i found something very curious i'm older than most of you are now not all of you but um, some of you know the name bob dylan some of you remember that far back oh yeah some of you actually do i'm not a fan or anything like that but he used to sing protest songs and anti-war songs and write them and all that well now he's a nobel prize winner for literature for the songs he wrote if you didn't hear that it was on the news about maybe two weeks ago he had a phase in his life and i have no idea if this guy ever became a born-again christian or not But he had a phase in his life back in 1979 where supposedly he became a Christian. Maybe he did. I'm not judging him. I don't know. And he wrote a whole album that was supposedly Christian songs. And one of them, I don't know any others except for this one. It's entitled, Gotta Serve Somebody. Some of you might remember that one. The phrase, the tagline is, you gotta serve somebody whether it's the devil or the Lord you can look at that and say, who in the world would ever make a statement like that? Oh, maybe Joshua or maybe Jesus. Because remember what he said? He said, if you're not with me, you're against me. That kind of thing. Well, Joshua said the same thing. He said, you want to serve the gods from Egypt? You want to serve the gods from the other side of the river? You want to serve the Amorites, the, the gods of our culture where we are now? Feel free. Nobody's going to stop you but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's the concept. The fact is it's very interesting because you think these things don't make an impact. Sorry if you, you're a Beatles fan. I'm going to pick on John Lennon. He was so angry that Bob Dylan wrote that song that he wrote a song, Gotta Serve Yourself. Literally did. He said, if you think about you're going to serve Jesus or Buddha or he went down, if you're going to dance in the street like a Hindu and he went down this list of things. He says, don't count on it. You got to serve yourself. And I will tell you, the rest of the song is so despicable. I would never even say the words out loud, much less in a sermon. That's how bad it was. If you don't believe me, look this stuff up. Google is a great thing if you want to look check out the pastor you can check that out the point is you're going to serve somebody you're going to serve something yesterday at the tractor pull uh if my voice holds out that'll be amazing because i i think i got sandblasted this morning i woke up i had that black junk that comes out of your eyes when you've been sandblasted all day long we got blasted but anyway I used this same concept to challenge the guys at our driver's meeting and the ladies at the driver's meeting because I said, all of you serve someone. You really do. I said, some of you, your idol might be tractor pulling. I hope not because it's going to let you down. On the other hand, I believe, and Joshua said, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I said that the place you start is by trusting Jesus Christ as your savior. Because the truth is, to do nothing is still making a decision. You say, "Well, I'm not going to serve. I'm, I'm not going to worship anybody or anything." You're still making a decision because at that point you're doing a like John Lennon thing. I'm going to serve myself. Because to not make a decision is actually to make a decision. My challenge today, the challenge to me, because as I looked at all of these things that I'm speaking about, the point is, I realized. I don't get it right. I have no excuse. I've been a Christian for over 40 years. I've been a pastor for over 28. And I still get some of this stuff wrong. So the challenge is to me, and I hope it's to you also. I believe the Holy Spirit will make that clear to us. But we're going to look at these definitions. Now, the first definition is one you've heard me use many times. or At least I use portions of it. But this is a general definition of the concept of worship. It has nothing to do with whether it's in a, a worship service, and I'm glad we call this a worship service. It doesn't matter if it's your home devotions with you, just by yourself, or with your family. It really doesn't matter if you're taking a hike and you just look up in the sky and see all the beautiful things God has created. It really doesn't have to do with any of those has to do with all of them all put together. And you're going to find that worship is indeed that. But worship is my heart attitude about God expressed to God. So if I love God, I care about Him, I want Him first in my life, I'm going to express that to Him. I could worship along with uh, Jordan as he was singing or the songs we were singing, or I could worship in giving in the offering. But you know what? I could do all of those things and not worship, because unless my heart attitude is being expressed back to God for what He has done, and who He is, and what He wants to do, and just all the great and wonderful things that He represents, I'm still not really worshiping. It's my heart attitude about God, expressed to God, and, and this is the one I'm going to emphasize today, and is reflected in what I do. If I say I worship God, then it doesn't matter if it's Monday morning and I have to deal with the boss, or it's going home from church today and I have to deal with the traffic. It doesn't matter what it is, or I go home and I have a cranky neighbor am I going to worship God or am I just going to say, I worshiped God and I got to deal with this guy? You know what? It doesn't work. Tim's back there laughing because he's my neighbor. I didn't really think about that. But anyway, (laughs) we get along by the way, just in case you want to know. Anyway, now our worship can be assisted by others, but it's not dependent on them. I hope that you worship God as a result of the sermon that I'm going to present. I hope you do. But you know what? My sermon will never make you worship God. It cannot do that. If I can can assist you in doing that, then I've done my job. If what Jordan was singing assisted you in worshiping God, then that has happened. You've worshiped or the praise team, or if you gave in the offering and you gave because you wanted to honor the Lord, now you're beginning to worship. But going through the motions or watching somebody else worshiping God doesn't cut it. Oh, by the way, I'm not going to pick on Jordan or me or all of us, but you know what? I could stand up here and give a sermon without worshiping God. You'd probably all know that. Jordan could have sung a song and said, You know what? Yep, I sang my song. I did a good job. Okay, great. You know what? But you know what? It shows. Because if you truly worship God, it's going to show. It's going to be seen in what you do. Your countenance, the attitude, the motives all shine through. And so it is much bigger than a small core. Now, again, I do not want to de-emphasize that we start with the Word of God. We start with prayer. We start with all of those things that we're encouraging you to do as a family as an, and as an individual. But if it ends there, if it ends with 10 minutes with your daily bread at breakfast, I'm not saying you didn't worship God, but that's highly inferior to what God wants us to do. I hope that for about an hour and a quarter, you have worshiped God when you leave here Sunday morning. But if it ends when you walk out the back door, it's not what God's looking for. So that's my challenge today. I have a half an hour to look at these four words and give you some background from the Old Testament. The first word for worship is the one we normally think of. It is the one that the Magi, when they came to visit the Lord Jesus Christ. He was somewhere less than two years old, but he was not a baby. He was no longer in a manger. Notice he they came into the house, and they came in, and it says they fell down before him and worshipped him. That's the one we normally think of when we think of worship. It is to adore or reverence, God, by moving away from my self-centered view of life toward God, and we need to do it purposefully. We acknowledge his right to be the most important thing in my life, the most important person in my life. Somebody used the illustration this way. They said, this is like, and and cats don't work with this, but if you have a dog and you come home you open the front door what does that dog do he comes up and he's jumping up and down and yipping and carrying on wants to lick your hand and he is just so glad to see you you that have dogs are now smiling if you have a cat you're not smiling at all you know but it doesn't it just doesn't work cats could care less the point is this that dog is In that sense, worshiping you. The master has come home. My attention is there. That's this point. You see, the the magi didn't come in the house and say, Oh, wow, what great curtains you have. Isn't this atmosphere neat? Wow, you you prepared a, a meal for us. No, none of those things. They focused on one thing only. The Lord Jesus Christ. That's this kind of worship. And that's the one that is represented by uh, this word. And it is linked together with humbly bowing down. Now, when we humbly bow down, we could say, well, if you're going to worship God, then you've got to be on your knees. By the way, nothing wrong with that. Um, I said this in the early service. They're considerably older on the average in you, I'm like, if I said you have to kneel the worship in this service, some of them go, you've got to be kidding, pastor. If I kneel, I'm never getting back up again. And there's nothing wrong with kneeling in worship, okay? I would even encourage that. But it's kneeling and humbly bowing before God in every possible way. Intellectually, I recognize God is the one that knows all the truth. It is in, emotionally, I have no problem with you expressing emotion. I hope you do. You have a pretty sad life if you don't express emotion. But do you express emotion and bow down before God in expressing that? And how about physically? Well, that's the one we just talked about. And spiritually. I recognize that He alone is so high above me that to come in His presence, I'm bowing down. I was just with some people of Indian descent. And when they would say something, and I, I thought I knew what it meant, is if they were, instead of saying thank you, they'd just go like this. And so finally, I just said, okay, what does that mean? And it said, it's kind of thank you, and, it, and I'm humbled by it, and putting all those together. That's kind of what we're talking about here. We don't come in and say, hey, God, I need this. God, won't you do this for me? I don't think that's really worship. Now we can ask him anything. That's not the problem. But we do it humbly. We fall before him, recognizing how high above us he really is. When I think about these kinds of things, I look back. Um, We weren't a highly Christian family. My parents were Christians. It wasn't a real big priority, but I can tell you one thing. Sunday morning, nobody ever asked dad, do we have to go to church today? It was like, it's Sunday morning, it's church. It's Sunday night, it's youth group. You're going to be there. It really doesn't. You know what? It was a priority. I'm not going to say that I was worshiping. I wasn't even a Christian then. But it was something that was a priority. It was something that you can do. If you don't set a consistent time to be in the word of God and to pray, you're probably never going to get to this point because you're going to say, well, I'm going to do that. I'm going to humble myself before the Lord and I'm going to wait on the Lord and I'm going to be before the Lord. But if you don't set a time to do that and a place, sometimes you got to do both sometimes to do that. You're probably never even going to get started. I encourage you in that direction. When I go back to the Old Testament, I go and I think of this concept. I go to Job. You remember Job. He is blameless, upright, fearing God and turning from evil. That's God's opinion of him, not his. Uh, And he is doing these things. And he calls his family together. And on a regular basis, he offers burnt offerings on their behalf. Because he says, perhaps my children have sinned in their heart and, and turned against God. And so he offers burnt offerings. This is this kind of worship. How do I know that? Because a burnt offering, if you don't know the Old Testament offering system, a burnt offering is an offering that the whole animal is offered on the fire, completely burned up. The priests don't get any of it. You don't get any of it. It's all completely for God, nothing for you. It's all focused on God, humbly coming before him, bowing before him, acknowledging his rightful place. And you know the story, it continues on, that Satan says, oh, well, yeah, he worships you, he serves you, because nothing ever bad happens to him. So he says to Satan, you can take anything from him, except his life and his wife. His life, because I'm just putting a rope on there, and his wife goes, I'm going to let her nag him for a while and call him a fool and other things. Um, And so you know what happens. All his children die. All his crops, uh, not crops, but all his cattle and and flocks are gone. His servants are all gone. Everything is gone. Last thing that happens is all his children are gone. And here's what it says. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and worshipped. Whoa. That's putting God in his rightful place. But that's what we need to do. Every area of life, good or bad. See, Job was worshipping God before anything bad happened. When he was the greatest man in the East, he was worshipping God. When he lost everything except his life and his wife, he was still bowing, falling before the Lord and worshipping. In fact is, he said, I came with nothing. I came naked from my mother's womb. I'm going to be naked when I return. And he said, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Wow. That's Worship. That's this kind of worship. So here's what it comes down to. Do I have my devotions? Do I read scripture? Do I pray? Do I sing before the Lord? Those kinds of things? The answer is absolutely. But here's what happens. Is when I leave that place of that worship, do I continue to live that way? Is that my attitude? Job's was. Ours should be. The second one is the one where we'll concentrate on from Joshua chapter 24, because it says, and and the verse in the New Testament, I'm going to use this verse twice, because two words for worship are found there. The first one is served, and the other one is obviously translated worship itself. But it says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature, rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Here, he says, they knew about God. They knew the truth about God, but they abandoned it. And they decided to serve someone or something different. And when they did that, they became despicable. If you read the rest of that chapter, that's one of the chapters that we go to when we talk about homosexuality. It's, they, they didn't know what gender was for. They didn't know what sexuality was for. They got it all messed up. And then you read the last part of the chapter. It says they did all these horrible, rotten, no good, sinful things. And not only did they do it, but they encouraged other people to do it also. You see, when you don't serve the Lord and put him first, and you take the Lord out of the center and you start serving something else, it's all downhill. You wonder why our country's in downhill? You wonder why our churches are in downhill? Because once you take the Lord out of the center, and you start serving something else, it all goes downhill. There's no stopping it until you decide to change your view. This is to serve God and people in a practical way, and in spiritual ministry. So it could be preaching or teaching. It could be missions or evangelism. Or it could be helping your neighbor. It could be bringing somebody food when they're sick. It could be visiting someone. It doesn't matter what it is. All of those things that you do should be acts of worship. I will tell you, I already said it. There are times when I do things, I do it just because it has to be done my wife asked me to do something. I try not to have a bad attitude, but okay, I'll just go do it and get it done. You know what? Wrong attitude. Because if I have a right attitude, I'm going to do it in a worshipful service kind of manner, a worship manner. I'll tell you what, it'll make a difference in your life. I tried to do it right, but I'll be the first to admit I don't always do that. I'm not telling you it's right. I'm just telling you that's, that's the truth. I don't get it right. This is the word that is used to describe the Old Testament priests. You know what a priest is. A priest is someone who, on behalf of people, comes to God. What did the priests do? They took the sacrifices and the offerings from the people and brought them to the Lord. They served God by serving the people. That's this word. If you're going to worship, it means you're going to serve other people. Peter was up here this morning and he thanked the, the people who helped with the tractor pull. By the way, that includes people that prayed for us. That's a part of worship. Because when you do it for the Lord's sake, because he's number one, it is an act of worship. Did I have fun? Yeah. Was I able to minister to somebody else? Yes. But if my attitude was wrong, I didn't worship God. And this word makes it clear that what I'm doing is in every way to bring other people to the Lord. To, in an intelligent, organized way, do the duty of a servant. I am serving God and I'm also at the same time serving other people. It doesn't matter if it's your employer, your spouse, your kids... I don't know if you've thought about that, husbands and wives, moms and dads, is when you, when you are bringing your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that should be an act of worship. When you have devotions with your, your spouse or, or with your children, that's an act of worship. When you have your own devotions, uh, preparing yourself to serve other people, that's an act of worship. But in this case, it says they served the creature. That's the John, L- John Lann- Lennon thing, is you've got to serve yourself, nobody else is going to do it for you. It's exactly the opposite of what the Bible teaches. In fact, it's one of the most verses, many of you probably memorized this verse, but it's Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service of worship. That's the word. You see, my whole body, not just Sunday morning, not just my mouth, not just my brain, my whole body, a living sacrifice is to be used to serve the Lord everything I do. And if you cannot do something as service unto the Lord, as a worship act unto the Lord, it probably doesn't belong in your life. That's one of those things that Joshua would have said, get rid of the idols. That's what Jacob would have said, get rid of those idols. You can check, if you will, the worship test of what I do with my life. If it's not an act of worship, probably need to get rid of it. In fact, I'd probably go further than that. You probably really ought to get rid of it because it's probably hindering you. But let's take our focus back to Joshua and we're in Joshua chapter 24. The word service or serve or servant is used 13 times in that short passage. There's a reason for it because this is, you know, the end result is he said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, Joshua wasn't saying to his family and his clan, we're going to have a worship service. We're going to have devotions as a family. You have to do those things because you don't have the instruction behind it. You don't even know what worship is. You don't know how to worship God. You don't know how holy he is and how sinful you are. need all those things. But he is saying, we are going to live our lives in service for the Lord it is a whole mind, body, everything experience. It's all put together. It's spiritual. It's emotional. It's everything put together. And with that in mind, look at verse 14. It says, now therefore fear the Lord, and notice this, and serve him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Starts with serve, ends with serve. He's saying this, is that if you're going to be who god wants you to be you're going to serve the lord and he says you're going to do it with sincerity that is the word integrity it means entire or complete it is not a part of my life i'm going to worship god and serve him it's with every part of my life if you don't think that's a tall order they said oh we're going to serve the lord the people did He says, oh, no, 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 it's hard to serve the Lord. You don't understand what you just vowed to. He says, read it. It's right in there. He says, you know what? They said, we're going to serve the Lord. He says, oh, no, no, you can't do that on your own. By the way, I guarantee you, you cannot do that on your own. It's just not possible. But he goes on to say... And if you're going to do that, you need to do it with truth. That's why you need your own fam- your family time with the Lord, your personal time with the Lord, your time in Bible study and worship services and preaching and teaching and all those things. You need that because that's where the truth comes from. And then he says, oh, and there are things you've got to get rid of. That's how I can know that this word for worship means, yeah, if you can't do it as an act of worship, you probably need to get rid of it it doesn't have a place in your life or it shouldn't have a place. And then he goes and serve the Lord. And he said, if it's disagreeable, and there's where it comes out, it says, if it's disagreeable, uh, choose which gods you're going to serve. The gods from Egypt, the gods on the other side of the river, the Canaanite gods, or the Lord. You need to make a choice. And they came back and they said, no, 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 we will serve the Lord. And he told them, you're not going to be able to do that. The Lord is a jealous God. He won't forgive transgressions. Their sin has consequences. And they insisted, no, we're going to serve the Lord. He said, okay, your witnesses against yourself. And uh, they made a covenant with Joshua and his family. And indeed, and this is very interesting, Israel, verse 31 of that chapter, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua. Here's what I know. If you're a husband, you're a wife, you're a mom, you're a dad, you're whatever you are, however you fit, a single person, your life has an impact, just like Joshua's did. His life had an impact until the day he died, and then the people that he trained and influenced, they had an impact. Unfortunately, we know what happened after that. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes, the book of Judges a horrible time in the, the history of Israel. But we have an influence. And we do that because worship has consequences that everyone else can see. They're very practical in in every possible way. I was thinking about this as, as I was putting this together. Um, when my kids and I would go backpacking. One of the things that we would do, we would when we camped at night, we would always have devotions. And it was pretty interesting. We did that because that's what we did as a family. We always did that. But here's the cool thing. There'd be other people at the campsite where we we're, we're have our tents pitched. And we'd say, hey, we're going to have a Bible study time and, and time of singing and praying. Want to join us? What an interesting time we had. Because they would join us. We had an influence way beyond that it 's a very practical kind of thing. Our neighbor kids would be hanging around it 's like hey it 's devotion 's time you 're invited in we 'd have devotions with the neighbors. all of those kinds of things. It makes an impact uh, beyond yourself. The third one, and I need to speed it up here is the second word in Romans chapter one verse twenty five it says that they worship. This is one that has to do with adoration. It has to do with emotions. Christianity and worship God, worshiping God is not just about emotions. There's been a wave through Christianity for quite some time now. It's all about emotions. No, it's not all about emotions, but without emotions, it's not the full package it's not all of it this word says i have adoration and reverence and fear but it stresses that i have feelings emotions i'm not just going through motions i have emotions and there's nothing wrong with that we are to love god we are to enjoy him we are to interact with him He walks through the valley of the shadow of death. There's emotions that go with that one. But also, when you're on the top of the mountain, there's emotions that go with that one. Because God wants us to honor him, to make him the full object. Guys, your wives will tell you that if you had no emotions toward them at all, and then you ask them to marry you, they'd probably tell you to go soak your head. You know, it doesn't work that way. Human interaction has emotions, and our worship of God has emotions. These people worshiped, and their emotions went toward the creation, not the creator. You will have emotions. There will be things that stir you up, and you get all into them. Nothing wrong with that. But you better make sure that the primary one is God himself. Nothing wrong with that at all. And we need to keep that in mind. In fact, is in this whole thing, there is that emotional attachment. Jacob found that out, and I'm just uh, tailing off of Peter here, but in um, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 35, when Jacob started to get his life right with the Lord, it wasn't just him. He turned around, and it affected his whole family and the emotional dynamic because his father-in-law wasn't a real happy camper with him because he said, let's get rid of the idols that caused a problem. In my Sunday school class, we were talking about some of these things, is that when you make choices to follow the Lord, to worship the Lord, there are going to be upheavals in your life, because you're now not emotionally attached to something from the past, you're emotionally attached to what God wants to do in your life. And so when you take... Studying the scriptures and praying together and and those types of things together, and you put them into practice, there should be an emotional attachment to that, something that reaches out way beyond just yeah, I worship god if we ever, if we ever get to that here at this church, we can say, "Oh, we got all our beliefs right we we, we have all our doctrines right, and we sing the right songs and, and but we you know, come in, as somebody told me one time, it was like going into a morgue, going to the church they came from. We ever get to that, forget it, folks. I don't want to be here. But if we cannot express ourselves in emotions, we have lost something. The last one is the one that has more to do with our duty toward God. And you go, well, that's what I always thought it was. You know, if I'm worshiping God, that's, that's what I'm supposed to do. But look right in the middle. It makes a distinction between doing our best for God and carrying out the common tasks of life. If I am worshiping God in this way, I'm not just doing something. I am doing it for the Lord. Yeah, and you can do ministry. You can work in the church nursery and worship the Lord. You can clean our bathrooms and worship the Lord. And I know some of you do because I've been here when you do it. You can teach the Sunday school class and you can do all those things. And you can be worshiping the Lord or you can be doing it because Pastor Paul said we need somebody to do it. So I guess I'll do it. You know, you can you can worship the Lord Monday morning when you're at work. Oh, I, I got a job because well I need a paycheck. So I got to pay my bills or you can say, no, no, no. My life is 100% given over to the Lord and I'm worshiping God. Oh, yeah, I'm getting a paycheck and I'm paying the bills, but I'm doing it because I'm serving the Lord. That's the bottom line here. It's interesting that the, the quote I have here is from Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. It says he was a devout man, one who feared God. And notice this, and I really like this, with all his household. Cornelius, at this point, when this was, when he, they're talking about him, he wasn't even a Christian. But he was a man who was dedicated to doing the right thing before God. He was devoted. He was consistent in his focus on God. Now, he didn't have all the pieces of the puzzle. Very shortly hereafter, he will. Because he will have come to the point where, instead of going through a ritual... He would now have the whole ball of wax. A little bit like the Ethiopian eunuch. He had come to Jerusalem to worship God, but he still didn't know about Christ. He still hadn't personally trusted Christ. And Philip goes up and he explains to him that Christ was the answer. He was the one that was the sheep that gave his life. Makes a whole difference in what we do when we serve When you look at each of these things, it's an attitude to live for and from. For example, I, you hear me say a lot of times that the husband, the man, is to be the spiritual leader in the house. By the way, if he doesn't do it, women, you will have to take up the slack. That's sad, but you'll have to. Uh, but here's the strongest verse. Actually, it's a, a passage that I believe puts that down. There's lots of others. We can talk about Job, and we can talk about Jacob, and we can talk about a lot of other ones. But in 1 but uh, Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34 and 35, it tells us that women are to be peaceable in the church. That's what the word means. They're not to be argumentative and getting in fights at church. But if they have a question, maybe they have a problem, they, they don't understand something, or they disagree, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to go home. Now, listen to this, guys. If you don't think that you're going to get your foot stepped on, just keep listening. They're to go home and ask their husbands. Guys, if that doesn't put the onus for being the teacher and the worship leader and the one who sets the tone in your house, I don't know what else can in the Bible. Because it says you better know what you believe, you better be able to answer the questions. That doesn't mean you know all the questions. Sometimes I study like crazy when somebody asks me a question. You might have to study like crazy to be able to answer your wife's questions. But the point is this if you're going to be a spiritual leader, guys, and this is not a Father's Day sermon, but this is uh, absolute truth, if you're going to have worship taking place in your home, guys, you need to step up. Don't let it to your wife, don't let it to your kids, don't let it to your Sunday school teachers or the youth leaders. Uh, they all have their place, no doubt about that, but you better step up and starting with your wife. And then we go to the classic passage in Deuteronomy chapter six, because Moses says, and when your children, when, when your sons and your grandsons ask, you know, what's going on here? What You know, what, what what's going on? What are you going to tell them? They'll ask, hey, what do these statutes mean? What do these commands mean? You know, I how do, how do I know what, what's right and wrong? He says, here's what you do, dads. He says, you tell them to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and mind and strength and soul. And you in the New Testament, they asked Jesus that question, what's the greatest commandment? He says, exactly what I just said, and love your neighbor as yourself. He had one, one answer with two parts. He said, everything to God, that's first. And this is to the fathers, <clears throat> this is to the husbands, this is to the man of the house. He says, you need to put God first, and then you need to teach those under your authority. And Deuteronomy goes on and says, you know, tell them, it's, God has to be totally first. And then he says, and when I'm commanding you, it shall be on your heart. This, remember I said this worship is not just going through some duty. Not just having devotions or family worship time. Not just going to church and making sure the kids get to church. None of those things. It's, a, well, it's those things, but it's above that. Because he goes on in verse um, 6 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, The words which I command you shall be on your heart. Totally envelop you. Because that's what it's talking about. And you'll teach them Diligently diligently, not just haphazardly, with purpose. You'll talk when you sit down. No, you sit down for a meal. You talk about the Lord. You walk. We don't walk anywhere today. Riding in the car. Okay? One of the best places to carry on a conversation, I've found, when you sit, when you lie down. So they're going to bed at night. One of the first things we did spiritually with our kids is every night when they went to bed, we would pray with them sing one of the little Jesus loves me songs. That's where it started. When you lie down, when you rise up first thing in the morning, get them going in the right direction. And then it says around your house, be on your doorposts." I'm not saying you have to have signs all over your house, but you know what? There ought to be something in your house that says, Hey, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then their children, the frontals and the around their mind, I'm not telling you to put Bible verses on your kid's foreheads. I'm not telling you that. I'm just saying it should be some evidence somewhere. If you're going to truly be devoted and consistent in what God has asked you to do, it's going to show in your home, in your life, in every part of what you do as a family. So worshiping God? Absolutely. As a family, As as an individual? Absolutely. As a family, Positively. Just a small section of your life? Not a chance. It's all of your life. And guess how you do it, guys? You do it by being an example. How do you do it, moms? How do you do it, wives? By being an example. How do you do it, young people? By being an example. Living it out from the heart with emotion. I really care about this. It's not my job you would have gotten rid of me as a pastor a long time ago if I didn't have some passion for this job. I didn't say I'd do a great job. I'm just saying, if you thought Pastor Paul needed a job, so he, he's an employee at Garden Chapel for 28 years, you'd go, get rid of this guy, get somebody that cares. But if you're going to worship God, that's what it's going to look like. I need to do that in my house. You need to do that in your home. You need to do that in I need to do that in my life. You need to do that in your life. That's this whole thing. We're setting the foundation for worship and it starts small and goes from there. If you're not doing that and you wonder why God isn't using you in ministry, go back and start from the beginning. Get back to the core. Am I really into it? Am I doing everything? Is my life a living sacrifice for the Lord? Let's all stand together as we close. Father, it's a joy to be challenged from the word of God. And Lord, it is also downright scary. Because as we look at these things, we realize that all of us come way short of what we talked about. As I express my attitude about God to him, it changes my life. It changes my attitude. It changes my heart. It changes my emotions. It changes my tongue and my actions in every way. When we worship you, there is nothing that should be off limits. And if it's off limits, then it shouldn't be a part of my life. Lord, I pray that we would allow these truths to soak into our minds and hearts. And we would truly, as for me and my house, serve the Lord. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God and be a blessing to someone else.